ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا وسيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد so then we return back to al-aqida at-tahawiyah We've been studying the aqidah of Ahl sunnah wal-Jama'ah, going over the various aspects of the aqidah, so that a Muslim understands properly what his belief is. So a Muslim understands properly what his iman is, what his aqidah is, who his Lord is, who you are praying to five times a day, who you are doing all of your worship for, all of this fasting, Ramadan, everything. So you have a recognition and an understanding of your belief, your aqidah, your Lord. That is what is required of a Muslim. That you understand the principles of your religion. In your grave you will be asked, Ma dinuka? What is your religion? That is one of the questions of the grave. Along with Man Rabbuka, who is your Lord? Wama Dinuka, who is your Waman uh, Nabiyuka, and who is your Prophet? These are questions that are mentioned. You will be asked in the grave after you die. Fitnatul Qabr. So it's upon a Muslim to have knowledge and understanding of those things, to have knowledge of his religion. For indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He mentioned, He mentioned, وَمَا خَلَقْتُ الْجِنَّ وَالْإِنسَ إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُونَ Did not create the jinn of the humans except for them to worship me. Your purpose here is to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Your purpose in existence is to worship Allah. That is why Allah created us, to test us. Who will be the best of us in our actions? Who will be the best of us in our obedience to Allah? الَّذِي خَلَقَ الْمَوْتَ وَالْحَيَاةَ لِيَبْلُوَكُمْ أَيُّكُمْ أَحْسَنُ عَمَلًا The one who created death and life to test you. Which of you will be the best in your deeds, in your actions? So it's upon us to have a good understanding of what our religion of Islam is. How can a Muslim be a good practicing Muslim if he doesn't know what his religion is? That's why there is so much encouragement in the Qur'an, in the Sunnah, for you to learn about your religion. So much encouragement in the Qur'an, in the Sunnah, telling the believers to strive to learn their religion. Allah tells you in the Qur'an, هَلْ يَسْتَوِ الَّذِينَ يَعْلَمُونَ وَالَّذِينَ لَا يَعْلَمُونَ Are they equal, the ones who know and the ones who don't know? The ones who have knowledge of their religion, and the ones who do not have any knowledge, ignorant, jahil, are they equal, are they the same? Of course they are not the same. The one with knowledge is superior, and that is why Allah said, إِنَّمَا يَخْشَ اللَّهَ مِنْ عِبَادِهِ الْعُلَمَاءُ that indeed the ones who truly fear Allah from His servants are the people of knowledge. 
They are the ones who truly fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They are the ones who recognize who their Lord is. They are the ones who recognize the reality of this religion, the reality of what Allah has revealed, the reality of who their Lord is and who they are worshipping. And so they are the ones who have the reality of the fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They are the ones who know, as opposed to the ones who are ignorant, who are jahil, who do not know. Similarly, the Prophet ﷺ mentioned, مَنْ يُرِدِ اللَّهُ بِهِ خَيْرًا يُفَقِّهُ فِي الدِّينِ Whomsoever Allah wants goodness for, then Allah gives him knowledge of the religion. Whomsoever Allah wants goodness for, then Allah gives him knowledge of the religion. That knowledge is a sign of goodness for you. That you have an understanding of what your religion is, what the Qur'an is telling you, what the sunnah is telling you. That is a sign of goodness for a person. As for ignorance and jahl, never having learned anything, never having studied properly, never having memorized, never having understood, then that is a calamity. It is a disaster for a person. How are you supposed to practice your religion properly? And you do not have any understanding of it. You are not striving to learn it. It requires effort. It requires striving. It requires that. You are not going to gain knowledge otherwise. Knowledge will not come to you unless you strive for it. You put effort in for it. That's why Yahya ibn Abi Kathiri mentioned, لَا يُنَالُ الْعِلْمِ بِرَاحَةِ الْجَسَدِ you will not gain knowledge if you want to relax. Anybody who wants to relax their bodies, you want to take it easy, you are not going to gain knowledge. That is mentioned in Sahih Muslim. Anybody who wants to relax, you will not gain knowledge. Knowledge is not gained through relaxation of the body. Knowledge is gained with effort and striving. Putting time aside to memorize, putting time aside to go over the class, putting time aside to revise, to read ahead on the next section, be prepared for the class, to come together to discuss and to revise and compare notes. Knowledge requires striving. And that is why the Prophet ﷺ mentioned also, مَنْ سَلَكَ طَرِيقًا يَلْتَمِسُ فِيهِ عِلْمًا سَهَّلَ اللَّهُ لَهُ بِهِ طَرِيقًا إِلَى الْجَنَّةِ Whomsoever treads upon a pathway, seeking by it knowledge, then Allah will make that person's pathway to paradise easy. How? Because when you gain knowledge of your religion, and then you practice what you have gained, al-amal, the action upon what you've done, al-ilm wal-amal, you do that, then that will clearly make your path to paradise easier. That you are worshipping Allah upon the knowledge you have gained. You are implementing the sunnah, tatbiq sunnah in all of the various affairs. In the different aspects of the implementation of the sunnah. But a person who does not know the sunnah, then how is he going to implement the sunnah? He doesn't know any of the sunnah. He's going to fall into contradictions. He's going to fall into oppositions. And that's why Hudayfa ibn al-Yaman radiyallahu anhu used to say, كَانَ النَّاسُ يَسْأَلُونَ النَّبِيَّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ عَنِ الْخَيْرِ 
وكنت أسأله عن الشر مخافة أن أقع فيه أو في رواية مخافة أن يدركني that the people used to ask the Prophet ﷺ about the good but I used to ask him about the bad fearing that otherwise I would fall into it so it's upon a person to learn the Qur'an and the Sunnah, to learn your religion, to learn your aqidah. And as a consequence, you also learn that which opposes it. You learn regarding what is shirk, what is bid'ah, what is the mukhalafat. You learn what all of those oppositions are, in order that you can then practice your religion upon purity, and you can avoid all of that which is in opposition and contrary to it. But that all requires the knowledge. It requires the striving for the knowledge. And indeed Allah raises the person with knowledge. Allah raises the people of knowledge. You remember those famous narrations, Umar ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu anhu, Amir al-Mu'mineen, when he was Amir al-Mu'mineen, when he was the Khalifa, and he was in Medina. He had appointed his na'ib in Mecca, Nafi'. Nafi' was the deputy he had appointed to look after Mecca. But then on one occasion, Nafi' traveled to Medina to visit Umar ibn al-Khattab, the Khalifa. So when he got there, Umar ibn al-Khattab said, who have you left in charge in your absence? Because Umar ibn al-Khattab had put him in charge of Mecca. Now he was here visiting. So he said, who have you left in charge temporarily whilst you're here? He said, I've left a person called Ibn Abza in charge. I made the na'ib Ibn Abza on Mecca. Umar ibn al-Khattab said, Waman Ibn Abza? Who is this man, Ibn Abza? Nafi' said, Min Mawalina. He used to be one of our slaves. He's a freed man now, but he is formerly one of our slaves he used to be. A slave man formerly. Now a freed man, he's a freed slave now. I left him in charge. So Umar ibn al-Khattab said, You left a former slave in charge? Meaning, will the people respect him? Will the people listen to him? Will they give him honor? So Nafi' said, Ibn Abza, he is an alim. He is an alim, a person of knowledge. Alim bil Quran wal fara'id. He has knowledge of the Quran and of fara'id, of inheritance laws and fiqh. He is a person of knowledge, knowledge and details of the Qur'an. So then Umar ibn Khattab said, لَقَدْ سَمِعْتَ قَوْلَ نَبِيِّكَ صلى الله عليه وسلم He said to Nafi' In that case you have heard the statement of your Prophet Muhammad صلى الله عليه وسلم What statement? إِنَّ اللَّهَ يَرْفَعُ بِهَذَا الْكِتَابِ أَقْوَامًا وَيَضَعُ بِهِ الْآخَرِينَ That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala raises people by virtue of this book. Those who have knowledge of the Qur'an, understanding of it, 
knowledge of the revelation and what Allah has given them, then Allah raises them. إِنَّ اللَّهَ يَرْغَعُ بِهَذَا الْكِتَابِ أَقْوَامًا This man, he used to be a slave. But now his knowledge of the Qur'an, knowledge of this religion raised him to become temporarily in charge of Mecca and everybody will give him authority. Even though he used to be one of their slaves before. You have the narration regarding Muhammad ibn Abdurrahman al-Awqas. Muhammad ibn Abdurrahman al-Awqas. This man, he was born disabled. He was born disabled. Another story, another narration. A person called Muhammad ibn Abdurrahman al-Awqas. He was born disabled. His neck was almost non-existent. His head was right into his chest, the way he was born. And his shoulders were sticking out the bones the way it was. Shoulders sticking out, head right into his chest, that's the way he was born. Disabled and disfigured like that. So the people, they used to laugh at him. They used to mock him, make jokes of him every time because of his physical disability, his physical disfigurement. So then his mother said to him, his mother said to him, that you, wherever you go, everybody will always laugh at you. They're always going to make fun of you because of the way you are. They're always going to have their laughs at you when you go to their gatherings and wherever you are. فَعَلَيْكَ بِالْعِلْمِ So upon you is to seek knowledge. Knowledge is what you need to strive after. So Muhammad, he says that this speech, this statement of his mother, it impacted upon him. So he began seeking knowledge, began striving after the knowledge. And he sought the knowledge and sought the knowledge until when he grew up, he became Qadi Mecca. He became the judge in Mecca. And it is mentioned في ترجمته في سير العالم الله in his biography that when people used to come to his mahkama, to his courtroom, to his court, to his judgment, they would walk in and see him and they would be shaking in front of him. Shaking in front of Muhammad ibn Abdurrahman al-Awqas. Why? When he was younger they used to laugh at him. But now because of the knowledge that he gained throughout his life, the level and the status he had, people recognized how powerful he was with his knowledge, how much he had gained, how much he knew, how much understanding he had. And they used to be shaking in front of him in his courtroom. From laughing at him to shaking before him in fear. Why? His physical appearance hadn't changed. Even when he was the judge of Makkah, he was still disfigured. But now because of the knowledge he had gained, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala raised him in that status and gave him that praise of the people. Not that you seek the knowledge for that reason, not that you seek the knowledge for status or praise, but that is something Allah bestows with His virtue upon those who seek the knowledge sincerely for the sake of Allah. This is the encouragement you see in the Qur'an, in the sunnah, regarding the seeking of knowledge. This is the encouragement you hear from the Prophet ﷺ in the Sunnah. In the narration, the same one he mentions, وَإِنَّ الْمَلَائِكَةَ 
لا تضع أجنحتها لطالب العلم رضا بما يصنع The angels lower their wings before the student of knowledge in pleasure and happiness at what he is doing in seeking knowledge of his religion. They lower their wings before him, lower their wings in humbleness before the student of knowledge. Student of knowledge doesn't mean somebody who's gone abroad everything. Everybody strives wherever you are, you work hard, and you can be considered from those who are studying. You are studying your religion, you are studying knowledge. This is what is mentioned in the other hadith the Prophet said, وَمَجْتَمَعَ قَوْمٌ فِي بَيْتٍ مِنْ بُيُوتِ اللَّهِ يَتْلُونَ كِتَابَ اللَّهِ وَيَتَدَارَسُونَهُ إِلَّا حَفَّتْهُمُ الْمَلَائِكَ وَغَشِيَتْهُمُ الرَّحْمَةِ وَنَزَلَتْ عَلَيْهِمُ السَّكِينَةِ that a group of people do not come together in a house from the houses of Allah, reading, learning the Qur'an, except that the angels, they come and surround them. And the serenity and tranquility from Allah descends upon them. And the, the mercy of Allah engulfs them and encompasses them. These are all the virtues mentioned for those who strive to learn their religion. The one who has knowledge of his religion, that is the one who will be able to worship his Lord properly. That is the one who has understanding of what his religion is about. That is the one who understands the reward that Allah has prepared for the believers and understands the punishment that Allah has prepared for those who oppose, for the disbelievers, for the wrongdoers. That is the person of knowledge who has that. As for the one who does not strive, does not make any effort, does not revise, does not do anything, then that person you need to look at your own state. Years and years will go by, and your hairs will become white, and you do not know the aqidah of Ahl Sunnah, you do not know anything of the Sunnah memorized, you do not know any explanation of the Quran that you can give to your children, your grandchildren. They ask you about the three fundamental principles and you're unable to explain what those are properly. They ask you about the simplest of affairs from the aqeed of Ahlul Sunnah and you don't know and you cannot explain it. Then what type of tarbiyah are you going to give to your children and the offspring that come? كُلُّكُمْ رَاعٍ وَكُلُّكُمْ مَسْئُولٌ عَنْ All of you are shepherds and you are responsible for your flock. And what are you going to do without the knowledge? It is of vital importance and it is something that has too much laziness from the people regarding it. Too much slackness from the people when it comes to studying the religion. Do the people not recognize that the safety of your heart is paramount and required more than the safety of your body or anything else? The protection of your heart the protection of your heart, this limb within your body, the limb that the Prophet ﷺ mentioned, the qalb, if your heart is pure, then the rest of your body is pure. But how are you going to gain this purification for yourself? It does not come except through knowledge. It does not come except through striving and studying, memorizing, what has a person memorized when you look at yourself? 
What have you memorized from the ahadith? What have you memorized from the Qur'an? What understanding have you gained? We've done a quarter of this book now. We've done approximately 25%, 30% of this book now. So from that 30%, are you able to explain it? If we were to go and pick up one of the points we did in the previous 10-20 sessions now, then would you even remember the point, let alone explain it? It is a calamity and you need to fix the affairs. All of us we require to fix the affairs of ourselves. Studying and knowledge, it comes at a price. That price is the striving and the effort. Anybody who wants to relax, you will not gain knowledge. You will grow old and the days and the nights will pass you by. And you are no better in your old age than when you were in your youth. The way Prophet ﷺ mentioned, take benefit of your youth before the old age comes. Take benefit of your good health. Even if you're old, take benefit of the good health you still have before the bad health comes to you and you can no longer do it. Take advantage of the time that Allah has given you to study your religion and to understand what the Prophet ﷺ came with. That final revelation everybody says, Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah wa ashhadu anna Muhammad rasulullah You testify that Allah is the only one deserving of worship alone and that Muhammad is his messenger, the slave and messenger of Allah, the final, the seal of the prophets. And yet you do not know the affairs of the sunnah that he came to you with. You have not even understood or read large sections of the Qur'an. Now that Ramadan is finished, the Qur'an will not be touched again till next Ramadan. Then that is a calamity. It is a calamity upon the Muslims, upon the ummah. It requires rectification. And that rectification will come from those who strive. Everybody needs to make a greater effort with knowledge. All of us here, outside of Leeds, wherever it may be, in all of our classes, in all of our gatherings, it requires hard work, requires bringing your pens, requires bringing your pads and making notes. Afterwards, those notes will stay with you for your life. You pick up some benefit that you learn, Maybe 60 years later, that pad will be read by your grandchildren with those benefits. They do not disappear. The books of a Sheikh Albani with his handwritten notes, to this day the people, they read them, they benefit from them. The books of the scholars of old, their manuscripts are still available now. It requires that. It requires effort. The student of knowledge, the one sincerely studying his religion, then that one requires to behave like a student of knowledge. Bring the book, bring the pad, bring the pen, make the notes, whatever you're able to make down, points of benefit, something interesting that you didn't know before. Write it down so it's never forgotten and you have it registered. You have it recorded there in your books with you that remain. That is the way you go home and you revise it afterwards. Get the book, we English is available. The English of this book that we're studying, it is available. So you should get a copy of that. What better way to spend your wealth except upon this knowledge? What better way than to spend it upon the books and the knowledge that you're going to read and you're going to revise and you're going to memorize and you're going to understand your religion through the classes and the books. That's what's required. The scholars, they used to say, it is mentioned that a person who comes to a class is one of two types Either he's a student of knowledge, comes with all of his equipment, ready to study. Or he is a guest. 
A person comes to the class as a guest to simply sit back and relax and listen, pick up the odd benefit and go. In that way you will spend your life only picking up benefits here and there. You will attend lessons for years and years and at the end of it all you have is general knowledge. Bits of benefit you picked up from those years of lessons. As opposed to the student who studies, he will after 10 years inshallah have learned and memorized principles and understanding, will be able to explain things. But the one who comes generally, it's good that a person comes and benefits generally, but you're missing out on the potential that you could achieve. You're going to attend the classes anyway, then come with a book and pen and pads and everything ready, and maximize the fruits of that gathering. Maximize for yourself the benefit you're going to take from that gathering. You're in the gathering anyway, you're coming anyway, alhamdulillah. Then why only take 20% of the benefit of the gathering, when you could take a lot more percentage by bringing your pads and books and being prepared? If you're going to come and attend anyway, which is excellent, then maximize the benefit you take from that gathering when you come. So it needs more effort from all of us. In particular here, as you've seen, as you've seen the people of innovation, the people of bid'ah, promoting their aqidah of falsehood, promoting their aqidah which is incorrect, in opposition to the Qur'an and the Sunnah, promoting the aqidah of the Ash'ari, the Maturidiyya, promoting the aqidah of Ahlul Kalam, all of that falsehood, what are you going to do, how are you going to refute it? Your children grow up playing in the streets with them, and they learn that aqidah, what are you going to tell your children to refute it? When you're not able to explain the aqidah of Ahlul Sunnah to them, you're not able to explain the principles of Ahlul Sunnah to them, so it requires striving, requires effort. So let us all be from those who put that extra effort and striving in, insha'Allah. So here then we came to the statement of, وَإِنَّ مُحَمَّدًا عَبْدُهُ الْمُصْطَفَى وَنَبِيُّهُ الْمُجْتَبَى وَرَسُولُهُ الْمُرْتَضَى This statement now of Imam al-Tahawi, he is talking about the selected prophet, the chosen prophet, the one who is the seal of the prophets, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, as we mentioned previously, our aqidah regarding this affair, is that he is Abdullah wa Rasulullah. He is Abdullah and he is Rasulullah. Neither do you have the ghulu, nor do you have the jafa. Neither extremism on one side, nor negligence on the other side. We don't go into extremism and say the Prophet ﷺ was supernatural, or that he was made out of light, and that he used to walk without a shadow. All of these things are batil. There is no evidence, no dalil for that whatsoever. He was not supernatural, made out of light, walking without a shadow. That is from the exaggeration of the people of innovation. Exaggeration that there is no evidence upon. Neither though do we go into negligence and start to disobey the messenger. He is the messenger of Allah. He may be human and die. As Allah said, he will die and he died. He may be human, he eats and drinks and sleeps. He may be in that way, Abdullah, the servant of Allah. Yet he is Rasulullah, 
the messenger of Allah, with that revelation from Allah, with that guidance that came from Allah. And so it is upon us to obey and to follow the messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in that Qur'an, in that sunnah that he came with and taught us. That is the obligation upon a person proclaiming, Ashhadu anna Muhammadan abduhu wa rasoolah. We already mentioned the four points. Ta'atuhu fi ma amara, wa ijtinabu ma naha anhu wa zajara. وَتَصْدِيقُهُ فِي مَا أَخْبَرَ وَأَلَّا يُعْبَدُ اللَّهُ إِلَّا بِمَا شَرَعَهُ That you will obey him in that which he commanded. That you will stay away from that which he prohibited. That you will believe with certainty, yaqeen, all of the information that he told us from the affairs of the, 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 the ilm al-ghayb. From things that Allah has revealed about the day of judgment, yawm al-qiyamah, mawaqif yawm al-qiyamah, what's gonna happen on that day in the barzakh, and what happens with the malaika and the fitnatul qabr, adab al-qabr, na'im al-qabr. All of these things with yaqeen, you have certainty in them. Because the Prophet wasallam gave us that sunnah. And it's mentioned, kana Jibreel yanzilu ala nabiy sallallahu bi sunnah, kama yanzilu alayhi bil Qur'an. Jibreel used to come to the Prophet ﷺ to give him the sunnah and tell him the sunnah, just like he used to come to him with the Qur'an. This sunnah, it is wahi, it is revelation wahi from Allah. It is the preserved revelation from Allah. So it is upon us to follow the Prophet ﷺ. وَالنُّبُوَّةِ مُشْتَمِلَةِ على علوم وأعمال لا بد أن يتصف الرسول بها وهي أشرف العلوم وأشرف الأعمال فكيف يشتبه الصادق فيها بالكافر A messenger, a prophet, the one who has prophethood There will be certain elements of knowledge and actions that you see That distinguish him from the liars who are claiming prophethood there were people, Musaylama al-Kathab and others, who claimed to have prophethood after the Prophet ﷺ. But their actions, their affairs, they bring out the reality of them. And they demonstrate that they are certainly liars. Whereas those upon prophethood in reality, then they will have that knowledge and that action to back up the reality of their prophethood, they will have what emphasizes and shows you clearly that they are upon truth. And there is no uh, mixture between the truth and the falsehood. Those upon prophethood are clear and upon truth, and those who are the liars are clear that they are upon the lies. So the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam certainly came with that revelation and came with the truth. And it is mentioned then, Al-Imam Al-Tahawi says, وَأَنَّهُ خَاتَمُ الْأَنْبِيَاءِ That the Prophet ﷺ was the seal of the prophets. He was the final prophet and messenger. قَالَ تَعَالَى وَلَكِنْ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ وَخَاتَمَ النَّبِيِّينَ that he is the messenger of Allah and the seal of the prophets. Look at how clear that is. And yet you have those deviants, 
who come and claim that there is another prophet after the prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam you have the ahmadiyyah claiming that they have a nabi بعد nabi they have another prophet after the prophet sallallahu claiming all of these claims of falsehood absolute batil and yet here we see in the quran that he is khatamun nabiyyin khataman nabiyyin he is the seal of the prophets wa qala sallallahu مَثَلِي وَمَثَلُ الْأَنْبِيَاءِ كَمَثَلِ قَصْرٍ أُحْسِنَ بُنْيَانُهُ وَتُرِكَ وَتُرِكَ مِنْهُ مَوْضِعُ لَبِنَهُ فَطَافَ بِهِ النُّظَّارُ يَتَعَجَّبُونَ مِنْ حُسْنِ بِنَائِهِ إِلَّا مَوْضِعَ تِلْكَ اللَّبِنَةِ لَا يَعِيبُونَ سِوَاهَا فَكُنْتُ أَنَا سَدَدْتُ مَوْضِعَ تِلْكَ اللَّبِنَةِ خُتِمَ بِيَ الْبُنْيَانُ وَخُتِمَ بِيَ الرُّسُلُ in this hadith, which is in Al-Bukhari and Muslim. In fact, no, this wording of the hadith is not in As-Sahihain. It is in other sources of the wording similar or resemblant of it. The wording that states, the Prophet ﷺ mentioned, the example of me... And the other prophets, the parable or the example of us all, is like a palace that was beautifully built. A palace that was beautifully built. And it was all completed. Beautiful, except one brick. One brick in that beautiful building was missing. And so all of the people were looking around in amazement at this beautiful palace except that one brick that was missing. And they had no criticism of any of it, rather than that one brick that they saw is missing. And so the Prophet ﷺ says, I was that final brick to fill that void. And so with me that building was completed, and with me the messengers were completed. So he is the seal of the Prophet's. And that's why he said, لا نبي بعدي There will not be any other prophet after me. It's mentioned in another narration, وَخُتِمَ خُتِمَ بِيَ النَّبِيُّونَ That the prophets have all been concluded with me. That I am the conclusion of all of those prophets. Then Imam Al-Tahawi says, وَإِمَامُ الْأَتْقِيَاءِ that the Prophet ﷺ is the Imam of the pious. He is at the head of all of those who are pious. The greatest in his piety. The greatest in his righteousness. Al-Imam الذي يؤتم به. The Imam who is followed. Muhammad wasallam, The Imam who we follow and emulate. يَقْتَدُونَ بِهِ They follow and imitate and emulate. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, إِنَّمَا بُعِثَ لِلِقْتِدَاءِ بِهِ He was sent in order to be followed. لِقَوْلِهِ تَعَالَى قُلْ إِن كُنْتُمْ تُحِبُّونَ اللَّهِ فَاتَّبِعُونِي Say that indeed if you love Allah then follow me. يُحْبِبْكُمُ اللَّهِ وَيَغْفِرْ لَكُمْ ذُنُوبَكُمْ Then Allah will love you and forgive for you your sins. وَكُلُّ مَنِ اتَّبَعَهُ وَاقْتَدَى بِهِ فَهُوَ مِنَ الْأَتْقِيَاءِ And everybody who follows 
the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and everybody who emulates the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, then he is considered to be from the pious, from the atqiya, from the righteous. And then Imam al-Tahawi goes on and he mentions وَسَيِّدُ mursaleen that he is the Sayyid of all of the messengers. And this is the section insha'Allah ta'ala will close on for today. And we'll begin with that statement from next week that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is Sayyidul Mursaleen. He is the Sayyid of all of the messengers that were sent. We'll discuss that point from that onwards next week at the usual time again, which is 7 p.m. Today was slightly problematic. We had to change the time. But the usual time, 7 p.m. next week, inshallah. Back to the normal 7 p.m. next week, inshallah ta'ala. Any questions on that? The brother is asking regarding the terminology. The terminology of al-rububiyya wal-uluhiyya and al-asma'u sifat. That this terminology did not exist at the time of the Prophet ﷺ. Was not known at the time of the Prophet ﷺ. You don't have any hadith. It says to you uh, the tawheed of al-rububiyya, al-uluhiyya, al-asma'u sifat. You don't have any ayah in the Quran saying to you tawheed al-rububiyya, al-uluhiyya, al-asma'u sifat. So some scholars, he mentioned in the question that some people, some of the scholars, they say that this type of terminology, it is a bid'ah. Because it was not established and known to the Prophet ﷺ or the Sahaba. Or rather to rephrase that, it was not mentioned by the Prophet ﷺ in that terminology or by the Sahaba in that terminology. So it's a bid'ah to say al-rububiyyah, al-uluhiyyah, al-asma sifat. What do you think? Why not? Why is it not bid'ah if it was not mentioned by the Sahaba or the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam? It is to make um, things easy for the people. It was always mentioned, but it wasn't... Um, I mean, there is only three parts mentioned in the Qur'an as well. But it wasn't like... Um, those titles were not given to it. هذه الأقسام موجودة في القرآن عرفت بالتتبع والاستقراء فالربوبية مثلا لما تقول الحمد لله رب العالمين اسم الله الرب يدل على ماذا يدل على الربوبية واسم الله الله يدل على الألوهية والأسماء صفات في القرآن الرحمن الرحيم مالك يوم الدين هذه كلها أسماء الله الرحمن الرحيم الغفور لا بس هذا التتليف موجود في القرآن ولا مش موجود هو موجود موجود أي هو موجود لأنه هو عرف بالتتبع والاستقراء موجود في القرآن في الفاتحة مثلا تقول الحمد لله رب العالمين الرحمن الرحيم مالك يوم الدين إياك نعبد وإياك نستعين الحمد لله رب العالمين 
هذا يدل على الربوبية الرحمن الرحيم يدل على الأسماء والصفات لا شك لا شك لا شك ولما نقول إياك نعبد وإياك نستعين هذا يدل على الألوهية فهذه الأقسام كانت موجودة هي موجودة في القرآن It's like we say now لما نكتب رسالة In English you know when you write a letter the beginning of the letter you call it the introduction المقدمة Then the middle part of the letter they call it the body of the letter the main body the main section what you're going to talk about and then the last part of the letter you call it the the conclusion al-khatima etc but in the letter when you write it when you write the letter do you write al-muqaddima and then write it and then do you write uh, uh, the 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 main body and then write it and then do you write conclusion and then write it you don't write the titles but the letter is it made up of those parts It is. It's like in the end of the Quran, Surah An-Nas. قُلْ أَعُوذُ بِرَبِّ النَّاسِ الرب المتصف بالربوبية They indicate the ربوبية of Allah. قُلْ أَعُوذُ بِرَبِّ النَّاسِ مَلِكِ النَّاسِ مَلِك مِنْ أَسْمَاءِ اللَّهِ إِلَاهِ النَّاسِ الإله يعني المألوه المعبود يدل على الألوهية فهذه الأقسام هي موجودة في القرآن هي موجودة يعني من أنكر هذه الأقسام فقد أنكر أنكر ما هو في القرآن. أنا أسمع الأصطلاح أبو عرفة وفيقول هذه بدعة توحيد التثليث توحيد يعني هو الألوهية والربوبية وتوحيد الصفة والأسماء والصفات فيقول ما كان يعرف هذه في القرون الثلاثة الأولى هذا المتأخر لا لا لا, لا في القرون الثلاثة كانوا يعرفون هذا حتى مثلا الإمام أبو حنيفة ذكر ذكر توحيد الألوهية في كتبه الإمام أبو حنيفة وهو مولود متى؟ ثمانين من الهجرة ثمانين بعد الهجرة توفي مئة وخمسين فهو من القرون الثلاثة الأول وذكر هذه التقسيم ذكر الألوهية في كتابه الفقه الأكبر ذكر ليس من وصف الألوهية أن يدعى الله من الأسفل كان يتكلم عن عن الله وأن الله في الأعلى قال ما هي من وصف الألوهية أن يدعى الله من الأسفل فذكر من وصف الألوهية هذه الكلمات كانت معروفة عندهم طيب لكن الآن لو قال أحد لو قال أحد هذا التقسيم هذا التقسيم لم يكن موجود عند عند السلف فالتوحيد عندهم إيش كيف يعرفون التوحيد ما هو التوحيد إذن إفراد الله بالعبادة طيب إفراد الله بالعبادة ما معنى إفراد الله بالعبادة كيف تفرد الله بالعبادة ألا تعتقد بربوبية لأن الله هو الخالق الرازق المدبر المحيل المميت لا بتعتقد هذا لأنه هو الذي تستلزم لك الألوهية إذا كنت تعتقد أن الله هو الخالق الرازق المحيل المدبر بعدين تعبد الله لأنك تعتقد أنه هو الخالق والرازق وأيضا الأسماء والصفات من خلالها تتعرف على ربك أنه الخالق الرازق الرحمن الرحيم الغفور فكل هذه الأشياء موجودة في القرآن هي موجودة هذا التقسيم موجود في القرآن عرف بالتتبع والاستقراء وهذا التقسيم موجود في كلام العلماء من القرون الأول موجود مجرد تقسيم الحقيقة موجودة في القرآن الربوبية والألهية والأسماء والصفات Anything else? If you read the Yassin Namaz and mention the Masjid and the Imam is about to read the Mahdi suppose you read it before can you read for the full behind the Imam? You've read Asr And then you go to the mosque and they're doing the jama'ah for Asr. Yeah. You can join Nafal. Nafil. With your niyyah of uh, Nafila. Is prohibited time? Hmm? Is prohibited time? 
No, when you've walked into the mosque now and they're praying the jama'ah, you can pray, you can join as a nafil prayer in the jama'ah. You don't sit and avoid the jama'ah. Prohibited time, yes, but even that has the difference of opinion on the prohibited times, whether you're allowed to pray certain prayers with reasons behind them or not. So if you've prayed and you walk into the mosque and they're praying the jama'ah, it's not suitable to sit at the back and the obligatory jama'ah for them. That's what it is, the obligatory jama'ah of asr. You shouldn't sit back, join and pray nafal with the intention of nafal. And that's permissible. Ma'ad ibn Jabal, he used to pray behind the Prophet And then he used to go to his people, and then he used to lead them in prayer. So he was praying nafal, and they were praying the fard, isha. So ikhtilaf and niya, yani ma ma tu'athir. What time does the start now? Starting time in, in, in the summer? Probably? Allah, when do you start? Like, uh, five, seven, huh? Some people say you can't pray before seven. No, the starting time of Asr, it is when the shadow of an object is equal to it. Once it becomes equal to it and then gets beyond that, that's the beginning of Asr. Some of the people in some understandings of the madhahib, they say it has to be twice as long. That's why you get these opinions of 7 p.m., 8 p.m. But the strongest and the most authentic, Allah sah, without doubt, is one shadow. When it is one shadow, now it gets to this longer, khalas, asr time. Asr, so that's going to be these days earlier than 7 o'clock. It's 5.36 o'clock or something. I actually have a question. Do you know, in um, regards to Salafi, you know, we follow the time of the Prophet and the Sunnah, you know, the Quran, but... When the Prophet at his time didn't he follow Hanafi, which was he followed Abraham, wasn't it? Hanifiyah, you mean? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but the religion of Ibrahim is Tawheed. It's the same. The religion of Ibrahim salam was the religion of Tawheed. Uh, that's mentioned in the Quran many times. Lam yakun min al mushrikeen. He was not from the mushrikeen. So, he was Hanifan. Yeah. So from from our times now, do you know, like a lot of Muslims follow the Hanafi, uh, and then we follow Salafi, though, right? No, 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 you're mixing it up. Hanafi is not Hanifiyah. There's a slight difference in the word. One is Hanafi, one is Hanifi. And Ibrahim is the Hanifi, Hanifiyah. That's talking about Tawheed. Hanafi here is the Madhab, Al-Imam Abu Hanifa. Two different things altogether. That's not the same thing. Hanifiyah, that's what we are, that's what you follow. That's Tawheed, that's all of us. The religion of Ibrahim, Muhammad Hanafi is a different thing. Uh, just a diff- slight, slight difference in the word. No. All right, we'll leave it there then. Inshallah, next week, 7 p.m. We'll be, uh, carry on. Zahra khair.